Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. In case you haven't heard, I'm going to be doing a live podcast recording with Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, for the first Unchained Live, sponsored by Quantstamp. It will be in New York City on the evening of Wednesday, March 20th at Columbia Journalism School's Joseph D. Jamail Lecture Hall. We'll be discussing Ethereum 2.0, governance, Polkadot, and so much more. We'll have food and giveaways, plus audience members will have a chance to ask questions. If you missed your chance to buy tickets, check out the live stream, which will be available on the Unchained Podcast Facebook page, facebook.com slash Unchained Podcast. That's facebook.com slash Unchained Podcast. The discussion starts at 7 p.m. Eastern, and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions. If you're listening to this episode after the live stream has happened, you can watch the video post-event at the same link. I look forward to meeting attendees, and I look forward to seeing participation from our live stream audience. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. Today's guest is Hayden Adams, founder of Uniswap. Welcome, Hayden. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. You founded one of the hottest new things in Ethereum right now, the decentralized exchange Uniswap. Tell us what Uniswap is and how it works versus a typical exchange. Yeah, uh, Uniswap is a um, decent decentralized exchange protocol. The core idea is to make it as easy as possible to swap between Ether and ERC-20 tokens. Unlike a traditional order book, which uses a um, which uses an order <laughs> a traditional um, order book exchange, which basically has a number of buy orders and sell orders and matches up buyers with sellers, Uniswap uses on-chain reserves and automated pricing using what's called an automated market maker that allows uh, users to trade directly against uh, a smart contract instead of uh, other users. So essentially, if I'm a liquidity provider on a typical uh, exchange with an order book. What is that experience like for me? And then if I'm going to do that on Uniswap, what is that experience like? Yeah, so if you're a market maker on a uh, traditional order book, what that means is you're being, uh, you maintain a spread. So you have, let's say, you're always willing to sell between ETH and DAI. Uh, you'll sell ETH, maybe. You'll either be able to sell ETH at, at any time for $104, and you'll always buy it for $103. And by buying and selling at a slightly different price, you're able to slowly accumulate over time and be profitable. One of the problems with that, though, is that it's a sort of opaque, complicated system. You usually need a large amount of initial capital. With Uniswap, you basically, it pools liquidity across a number of liquidity providers. It automates the uh, pricing, it automates the spread, so people don't really need to think about it. And it provides a much better um, user experience for liquidity providers. And so if I'm a liquidity provider on Uniswap, I put in equal, not equal, but I put in an equivalent dollar amount of two different tokens, the two that I'm willing to trade and, and 
provide liquidity for or the or the payer that I'm willing to provide liquidity for is that right? Uh yeah, correct. So if you're a liquidity provider, you put in a uh, a current uh, ether and a single ERC20 token into a smart contract um at the current at the current price ratio in the contract, which will basically come out to being an equivalent dollar value of each. Um and that gets pooled together with everyone else's liquidity. Um so you know, if you put in $10,000 with Ethan Dai and there's currently a million dollars in the pool, now there's a million and 10,000. And then when someone trades against the reserves, it uses um it basically takes some liquidity from all liquidity providers and then it splits up a fee um among all the liquidity providers proportional to their contribution. Yeah, I remember the first time you explained this to me, I was like, "Oh my god, it's it's almost like a mining pool, but applied in a completely different context." So, one other thing I was wondering is, how does the contract determine what price what the price should be for an asset when an order is placed? Yeah. Um so basically what it does is it uses something called the uh constant product market maker. Um this comes from basically where I got the idea was from some of Vitalik's blog posts. from almost 2 years ago where he described a mechanism where you would lock up two assets in a contract uh, in uniswap it's always ether and a single erc20 but really it can be any two assets and then it you know you imagine you have one liquidity provider you lock up two tokens and then people and then the contract has one rule it has to keep the uh, product of those two assets constant so you, let's say you lock up 10 of one token and 50 of another then the product of the first token times the second one always needs to be 500 So if you send uh some of the first token, the amount that comes out of the second um is done such that it keeps this um this uh rule that it keeps the product of the two constant. Um and what this ends up meaning is that the uh price is based off the ratio of the two assets in the contract and it's basically set by arbitrageurs. So if people look at the current reserve sizes, they can see what price they'll be able to get. for different orders and they make a trade based off what you know what price they can get and so the arbitrageurs are keeping the price in line with other exchanges and so essentially what that means is that the price on uniswap will always sort of lag the price on other or or the price movement will lag the price movement on other exchanges uh, yeah essentially um the the funny thing is that kind of people tend to say that because of this it can't be profitable but we've already seen from the uh, existing contracts uh that it has been profitable for a number of liquidity providers it lags in in some regards um so if the price you know if you look at a single so if the price just falls and you have point a and you have point b and all there is is a price drop then the liquidity providers on uniswap will have some loss over that time period but if the uh if the price is going back and up and down over a period of time then the uh, liquidity providers are accumulating fees with every trade whereas their losses are you know the contract buys on the way down and it sells on the way up actually similar to how uh, normal market makers work or normal uh, liquidity providers on order books work which also buy on the way down and sell on the way up it just kind of automates that curve and over time liquidity providers can uh, accumulate profits and then just going back to that constant that you mentioned essentially what happens is whenever the price let's say that one asset is like increasing in price or something then essentially the ratio changes um such that actually I don't know which direction the two go but so for one of them the ratio will get higher and then the ratio of the other will get lower but no matter what when you multiply the two it will still always be 500 as it was in your example or whatever whatever it was initially um if you're ignoring the fees so the way that uniswap kind of works is it says oh you sent me one eth well i'm going to pretend you point 
you sent me 0.997 ETH. Uh, now I'm going to calculate uh, this this constant product and then return some uh, and then return the other asset, the ERC20, to you. Um, but then that ETH gets put back into the liquidity reserve, uh, which slightly grows the uh, constant for the next trade. So basically, the the constant uh, is the constant at the end of the previous trade, but for the next trade, it increases a little bit every trade. Um, and that means that over time, the liquidity reserves are growing, which basically f- is the mechanism of paying those fees out to the liquidity providers. Or put in another way, all fees are continuously uh, put back into the pool for liquidity providers and only collected when they exit uh, from the pool. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's so fascinating about this is that essentially the dollar values of the tokens changing is not what affects the constant at all. So the dollar values on for both tokens can be just going crazy, and yet the constant basically will remain unaffected by those dollar values. It's that it's just the ratio that will change. So each trade will will um, have a different ratio associated with it. Yeah, correct. So the uh, the price the price is based off the ratio, and so the price is the the uh, sort of the exchange rate between the two from the contract's perspective. Is just based off the uh, ratio of the two assets. So if at the beginning you have 200 uh, die per ETH in the contract, then buying a very tiny amount of die would give you that rate. But if you buy enough of that of that asset to shift the uh, exchange rate, you know, 10%, then you'll have a price slip. You, if you if you ha- if you buy enough die with ETH that it actually affects the ratio, then that will also affect your exchange rate. So the more you buy relative to the size of the liquidity reserves, the uh, the more the exchange rate will uh, shift. And so in that regard, then it's similar to how it would be on a normal exchange. Yeah, exactly. If you market bought, you know, a million dollars on on any order book exchange, it would probably cause a, like a large price slippage. So it, it's similar in that regard. It's kind of like everything is a market sell um, from the uh, contract's perspective. All right. So in a minute, we're going to talk about what happened after you launched Uniswap. Um, but first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. Back to my conversation with Hayden Adams of Uniswap. So tell me, what happened after you launched Uniswap? Yeah, um, it's kind of crazy. I, I spent a year working on Uniswap, but I didn't really... I, the only people who really knew about it before the launch were people I had met in person, going to various Ethereum conferences and at various events, just kind of one by one evangelizing people in the space. Um, but you know, I hadn't really talked about it publicly anywhere um, on the internet. Uh, so when it launched, I basically tweeted it out to 200 Twitter followers um, at DevCon 4, uh, so in November 2nd this year. And I, I didn't really have that great... An, I mean, I knew that Uniswap was cool. I liked it. I had been working on it. But I didn't really have that clear of an idea of how big it would get. Um, since then, though, it's become you know one of the biggest exchanges on Ethereum. Uh, it the, it's, has about $6.6 million locked up in the liquidity reserves, and it has, and it's doing between 250000 and $1.5 million in trading per day, which has been pretty crazy for me. Right. Wow. That's, yeah, that's huge. Or, well, I mean, huge for, I think, something that's, you know, this new. So who's using it? Are typical market makers using it, or, pe- or is it people who aren't traditionally market makers? 
And so it's kind of funny because uh, because of how sort of open uh, Uniswap is, I don't actually know all the people providing liquidity on it. Normally, I, I don't know, it depends on the exchange, but a lot of exchanges, they tend to have close relationships with market makers. Uniswap is kind of open access, and it, it's been hard to find, uh, track too closely, um, but there are some hints at it. So one example would be uh, when Oasis Dex shut down. A, a large amount of MKR and DAI liquidity shifted to Uniswap. Yeah, that was so, yeah. the uh, the decentralized exchange of make, the MakerDAO system. Yeah, exactly. When the MakerDAO uh, exchange system kind of closed down, uh, a large amount of MKR and DAI shifted to Uniswap, which kind of hinted at uh, some of those uh, liquidity providers shifting over. Um, those, those are from the liquidity provider side. On the trader side, it's a little bit easier to track who's doing it. Um, so... Some of it is other dApps that want to make trades. So if you make a trade on some dApp, they, they might just want to accept uh, payments in anything. They can use Uniswap to make that trade. Uh, one example would be Kyber, actually. Uh, this is one of the biggest integrations for Uniswap, where basically if you make a trade on Kyber, they check the, the, the uh, price in their own reserves, and they check the price on Uniswap. And if Uniswap has a better price, they actually take a fee off the top and execute it over Uniswap. Um, oh, and wow. that, that provided a very large amount of uh, trade volume um, early on, which is cool. Oh, that's interesting. And um, so what kinds of profits do you think the liquidity providers are making? I, I want to be careful about promising any specific numbers because it can really fluctuate very widely. One kind of rule of thumb that I've been following is that the, uh, the, the daily volume is very close to the annualized returns. Um, so if, the tr- if, the, if, if a pair did $100,000 in trading per day, that pair would also be generating $100,000 per year in fees. So that's, how, that's, when, how, how do you... How, do, how does, yeah, where does that how come you, from? That's yeah. kind, of a, uh, it's kind of just a coincidence that that, came, that worked out. But basically, there's a 0.3% uh, fee on every trade. Um, and then there's also... And so if you, if you wanted to do the annualized fees, let's say someone trades uh, $1,000, you multiply that by 0.003 to do... That's the 0.3% per trade. Uh, then you multiply that by 365 days per, the year, per year, and so you actually end up getting 0.003 times 365, which is just a little bit larger than one, oh, which wow. means okay. that you know, it's basically the, the daily volume is the annualized returns for that day, um, Wow! which is kind of a funny. So when Uniswap did, was doing, a, when, you know, the day Uniswap did one and a half million in uh, volume, it was actually... If it had done that every day, it would have generated one and a half million in re- uh, returns, which at that day, it had about three and a half million in the reserves, which was a crazy high return. It would have been like 40%. But since then, it's kind of gone back down. There is, so that's the fee profits. There mm-hmm. is um, these uh, potential losses from price fluctuations. I'm, I sort of break them up in my mind okay. because they work very differently. So in Uniswap, every time there's a trade, uh, there's, there's a fee that's collected. And so the fees are basically... You can call them path dependent, but they're basically they they they're based off volume. Whereas your losses um, from from arbitrage or from price fluctuation as a liquidity provider are based off the difference in relative value of the assets from the moment you enter and the moment you exit. Um, an analogy I like to use in, is like physics. Um, uh, losses in Uniswap are a little bit like potential energy, where it doesn't really matter the path you took to get there. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, if if the if ETH two x is relative to Dai, there will be a five point seven percent loss from that price change. Um, if it goes fifty percent, there's a two percent loss. If it goes three x, there's a ten percent, thirteen percent loss. Whereas uh, fees that are generated are comp- completely path dependent, kind of like kinetic energy, where every every movement, every trade is collecting another fee. 
it builds up over time. So right. what you and want so to do, that's yeah. more like a linear increase over time, whereas uh, the fluctuations in price can really affect someone's profitability or, or losses. Yeah. So okay. it's a linear increase if you have a, a sort of linear vo- a volume relative to your liqui- the portion of the liquidity pool you've supplied. But yeah, it, the fees are basically always going up over time. And the uh, losses are just, yeah, they're just different at any moment in time. And But what you really want to do is you want to exit, uh, so you want to enter as a liquidity provider and exit at a uh, similar price. All right. And one other thing I noticed is that the gas fees on Uniswap are much lower compared to other decentralized exchanges. So for instance, an, e- an ETH to ERC-20 swap is 46,000 gas. This, these are examples, at least, that I think when you publish, I forget, they're in some kind of paper or something. 46,000 gas. But then on AirSwap, the same transaction would be like 90,000 gas at the low end. And then Bancor at the high end is 440,000 gas. Or like ERC to ETH is 60,000 gas on Uniswap, 93,000 gas on Ether Delta. And then at the high end, 403,000 gas on Bancor. So why um, do the transactions on Uniswap Uniswap require less gas. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a few things there. Some so some of those those numbers do come from some stuff I published a long time ago. Some of them have updated a little bit. I think Bancor got their prices down to like 250,000 gas, oh, okay. which is still higher than Uniswap. Uh, and the prices also vary a little bit based off the specific token that's being transacted because tokens do have slightly different implementations. But overall, those are those are close. The main reason that Uniswap is very um, well, part of it is just uh, efficiency and code efficiency and sort of careful smart contract design. But the other thing is that it's like the number of um, token transfers that need to happen. So AirSwap is a order book. And so uh, when, when two people are trading, there's actually uh, two. You know, if someone is trading Ether for uh, AirSwap token, maybe one person sends the AirSwap. You need multiple uh, uh, AirSwap token transfers. Well, basically, you know, sometimes you have it where like someone transfers the AirSwap token to the contract, and then the and then they get ETH back, and then you need to store in the contract um, the value that they locked up and the price they're willing to get. And then, so essentially, it's basically just that it's a less complex transaction on Uniswap. Like somehow you've like streamlined these. Yeah. So okay. Uniswap basically has requires specifically on a smart contract level, it requires less state updates. The thing that's uh, expensive on Ethereum is storing data uh, in smart contracts. Because when you store data in a smart contract, every single node in the entire network needs to download that data. And so the whole point is to make it expensive to store stuff. And so Uniswap requires very little storage updates because your only counterparty is this contract. And the only thing that the price is based off is the value of the tokens within the contract and the amount you send to it. Um, so there's very like little extra data that needs to be stored. That's probably a better way of saying it than whatever I was saying before. And who decides which tokens get listed on Uniswap? That's a good question. Uh, absolutely no one. Um, I have the way the way that it built uh, that it's built is anyone who wants can deploy an exchange for any ERC twenty token. Um, I don't actually deploy anything. I'm not even required for for the system to work or exist. And in fact, I could disappear, and it would continue to work as long as the Ethereum network works. Um, so the way that, it, but you still need to kind of coordinate liquidity into a single contract. Um, so the way that that works is that there's a public uh, factory contract that also functions as a registry, where basically, um, if you if you want to add support for your token, you 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 call a function on that uh, registry contract, and it will deploy a new exchange for that token. And anyone can do this. Um, and then your token is instantly uh, tradable on Uniswap. Uh, this is you know kind of a big advantage, I think. Uh, 
if you want to get your uh, normally if you want to get your token listed, you have to sometimes pay a fee or you have to you know send your, get a biz dev team that reaches out to someone else's biz dev team and you have to you know do some crazy arrangement. Uh, Uniswap makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I well, when you say that there's an advantage, I also imagine from your perspective, you've probably been watching the SEC with its various enforcement actions, including the one against Ether Delta. So, what is the regulatory risk for you? Yeah, so the way I see it is that Uniswap is a protocol that I created, I invented, um, but I'm not actually running it uh, in, in in any sense. So, there's no servers that are being run that that host Uniswap. Uh, Uniswap is just a smart contract on Ethereum. Everything that needed to use Uniswap is built into the smart contracts. Uh, you could, um, you can. There's there's an open source front end example that I created that anyone can host, but it's not require. I'm not required to maintain it. And not only am I not required to maintain it, I don't have any control over what tokens are traded on it. I have no ability to control it. I I don't. I have so far. I haven't collected any fees from Uniswap. It's kind of hard to argue that I'm running Uniswap because it doesn't need me to exist. Yeah, well, speaking of whether or not you're earning fees from Uniswap, so as you just said, you're earning nothing from Uniswap. So how do you, how do you plan to make money from Uniswap? Yeah, so, so, so far up until now, uh, Uniswap has been fully funded based off uh, grants. So I received a $100,000 grant from the Ethereum Foundation uh, based off an initial proof of concept I had made. Uh, this was in, I got the grant early early in the summer. And I also have received a little bit of a Gitcoin grants and a small grant for balance. So I've received you know, small grants and donations and stuff like that uh, over time. Total funding, though, you know, 110000 120000 nothing too crazy. From here, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Most of these other projects have ra- raised $50 million in a token sale. Or in Bancor's case, they raised $150 million. So it's kind of funny that, you know, it's already kind of at a similar volume. And it's something that I wasn't really expecting. But right now, I, I do think that for Uniswap to continue to grow and scale up, it probably does need some sort of company behind it, some, active, some people who are actively working to improve on it. Um, and so I, I am sort of looking at maybe forming a company around it that will have some way of being profitable without you know, running an exchange. It's something that I'm kind of taking carefully. People are kind of very quick on Twitter to suggest things for me to do and ways for me to immediately monetize it. It kind of happened very fast so far, and so it's been kind of a. It's, it's almost feel like people are rushing me a little bit, but I think that there. I, I am already looking at forming a team, and I'm, I'm already looking at forming a team in in New York uh, very soon. All right, and one last thing I wanted to ask you about was, I did an episode last week with Dan Ellitzer of Ideo Collab Ventures, and he mentioned the fact that each liquidity pair on Uniswap is an actual token. And he eventually, you know, this whole theory about how you can use various tokens as collateral and, and take out loans and stuff. But he was saying that he thought that those tokens, the liquidity pair tokens, could be used as collateral for, for loans. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, so this kind of is part of the idea of Uniswap is it's made to be very interoperable with other blockchain projects and it's made to be very versatile. And so when you, know, when you pool liquidity across multiple liquidity providers, there, I, I needed like a system of sort of keeping track of how, what percentage of each liquidity pool a, any liquidity provider has contributed. Uh, it needed to be really dynamic and versatile, and so I settled on just making them ERC-20 tokens. So when you become a liquidity provider on Uniswap, you receive an ERC-20 token, and that ERC-20 token represents your stake in Uniswap. 
because it's an ERC20 token, the core idea back at the, when I first added it was, oh, like, if someone wants to stop being a liquidity provider, rather than having to pull out their liquidity, maybe they can just sell their liquidity stake to someone else. So you don't have to, like, pull it out of, of Uniswap. And so that was kind of a way to keep liquidity in the system. But since then, I've realized that there's a lot more you can do with it. Uh, this includes derivatives built on top of liquidity tokens, and it includes uh, what Dan has been talking about, which is, um, he, he's called it super, uh, super fluid collateral or something. I, yes. I've, I've called it open rehypothecation. Um, wow. But it, basically what it, what it means is, you know, because they're ERC-20 tokens, you can go to any um, collateral-backed uh, loan system. And this is uh, Dharma, it's uh, MakerDAO, and it's uh, Compound right now. Um, and maybe there'll be other ones, I don't know. But, you, you know, you can, if, if you have a liquidity token that represents a share of ETH and ZRX, for example, then, that, then if you have a loan system that accepts ETH and ZRX, it should accept these liquidity tokens. Um, and the value of it is very easy to compute because there's always a current ETH and ZRX value of those tokens. And so, yeah, you'll be able to you know, become a liquidity provider on Uniswap. You receive your liquidity tokens, and then you could use those as collateral um, and some other loan system, take that, uh, you know, maybe borrow some ETH against it, then become a, uh, I like, like, you know, join a staking pool. And then now you're collecting fees on Uniswap while you're collecting staking fees on Ethereum. Wow. Well, we will see. I mean, this is all very experimental at this point, such early stage uh, development on all these things, but we can sort of see where this might go. So I guess maybe we'll just have to have you back on the show when we see how things develop. Yeah, and I'd love to come back anytime. Great. Well, thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. Again, if you have not gotten tickets for the Unchained Live podcast sponsored by Quantstamp, you can check out the live stream or the video after the fact at the Unchained Podcast Facebook page, facebook.com slash Unchained Podcast. I look forward to meeting some of you there and seeing participation from the live stream attendees. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylan Gallipoli, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Nuss. Thanks for listening.